you know, you you as an athlete, you go in, you you work hard for a couple of hours, you go home, and you kind of switch off. Coaches never get to switch off. They're always thinking, they're always feeling, they're always preparing. You know, the next workout, and and um, and they've got multiple athletes to think about. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is none other than Brett Hawke. Brett is a former Australian swimmer, two-time Olympian, and Commonwealth Games medalist. And Brett has competed at the elite level. He's also coached at the elite level. And he had a number of athletes who did very well at the recent Olympics with uh, one of his swimmers, Bruno Frattis, um, getting a bronze medal in the 50 freestyle at 32 years of age. And that's his first individual medal. So we talk a, a bit about those things as well as his coaching, some of the ways and the methods that he likes to use coaching and also how he likes to train sprinters because his primary uh, background and, and coaching experience is in coaching sprinters. And so we talk about what you can do to become a faster swimmer. So let's get into the episode with Brett Hawke. He also hosts his own podcast called Inside with Brett Hawke. He has a number of elite coaches and swimmers on the podcast and draws stories out of them in a way that uh, I haven't heard before on a swimming podcast. So that's also fantastic if you haven't come across it. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Brett Hawke. Brett, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, Brenton, thanks for having me, mate. You've um, you've been very busy the last 10 days or so, live streaming all of the footage from the um, Olympics. So um, watched every race. Is there anything that stood out to you in terms of, um, I mean, you you know a lot of the athletes there. You've, mm. you've probably spoken to a lot of them. Um, what stood out to you? Were there any um, significant races for you? Yeah, mate. I mean, there was there was a lot of um, great racing. I thought it was an excellent Olympics. Sure. You never know what you were going to get, kind of go, coming off the, uh, the 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 year of training that a lot of these athletes had and the the difficulties they faced. Um, so, in terms of um, how fast they'd swim, uh, I think that was surprising. Uh, how deep it was going to be, I think that was surprising, and. Um, and, and just the great racing, you know. I think that's the one thing you're never going to take away from us as humans is our ability to rise and compete. And, you know, when you put on your country's colours and the flag and and your name on your cap, I mean, you're going to have epic battle. So I, I think we saw a lot of that. Uh, and, and there was a, a couple of surprises. Obviously, the first night, the men's 400 free. Um, young kid, 18-year-old from Tunisia. Uh, I think surprised the whole world with with his epic swim, um, winning from lane eight. Did you that heard was, much about him amazing. before that? Nothing. Didn't even know he existed. You know, yeah. and uh, saw him yeah. saw him saw him out in lane eight <laughs> and kind of made a bit of a joke of like, oh, this kid's going to win it from lane eight. And then all of a sudden, he just uh, he just kept going. And it was like, hang on, this this thing turned from a joke to a reality real fast. So uh, that was pretty epic to watch that. Um, you know, watching Lily King get beat in the 100 breasts to a uh, young girl, Lydia Jacoby, from um, from out in Alaska. I mean, I thought that was an epic race. And to see to see Lily get beat, I was very shocked with that. And um, and then, you know, look, there was there was great racing throughout. But, you know, my, my boy that I coach, I had a personal side of it there as well. You know, Bruno Frattis in his third Olympics, uh, swimming the 50 freestyle for the third time in the final, uh, you know, finally getting on the podium and, and the emotions that came out from that. It was pretty um, epic to watch all that and be part of that, you know. 
Yeah, how was it for you just watching that happen? Because, I mean, for him, it just looked like this meant the world to him. And obviously, you know, third time, he was, he's 32 years of age yeah. to get his first medal then. Um, how was it for you watching that? Mate, it feels the same. Like, I, I'm, I feel what he feels, you know. We're connected spiritually in that moment, you know. Like, uh, you try and give them everything you can, but you can't swim the race for them, you know. And so you just have to sit back and, and watch it unfold. And just to see the outpouring of emotion for him and what it meant to him. Um, we, we actually did a podcast today and we talked about it. And I'm going to release it. And then it's it's something to share because I think it's... It's uh, it's a great story, but it's kind of what we all go through, you know. Um, you know, you have success and failure, but ultimately, you know, a lot of a lot of what we do, you, you know, your identity gets wrapped up in that as well. And, and I think for him, he was never going to be fully satisfied with his life in general if he never got on the podium. I think there was there was always going to be something that, um, you know, he'd he'd. Uh, live live with some sort of regret for the rest of his life if, if that didn't happen so for him to fulfill that was pretty special and uh what about when for you being going from a, a competitive swimmer an elite swimmer to then coaching how did your uh, perhaps perspective change or what was different for you going from being a competitor to then to then coaching because i think like the, what i found when i started coaching is you you obviously see a very different side of it and mm. uh, i guess you you've got a, a, a broader view of things, but when you're in there and you're training, you're very, it's just single focus and you don't really get to um, take a step back and um, get a look at the bigger picture in, in a lot of it, on a lot of occasions. Yeah. I always felt like I was the one that was sacrificing the most as an athlete. Like, you know, like you're just so self-centered. You're like, I'm the one doing this. It's me, 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 me. And then when you become a coach, you realize how much your coaches actually put into it and sacrifice. And, you know, you, you as an athlete, you go in, you, you work hard for a couple of hours, you go home and you kind of switch off. Coaches never get to switch off. They're always thinking, they're always feeling, they're always preparing, you know, the next workout and, and, um, and they've got multiple athletes to think about. So, you know, when I started coaching, I just went back and started picking up the phone and calling all my old coaches and thanking them, you know, like, Hey, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just didn't get it. You know? So, um, yeah, I've got a lot more appreciation for the work that put coaches put into this, you know, and, um, I've had moments where it's been, uh, it, you know, so fulfilling for me. And then I've had moments where it's been completely draining and I've wanted to take a step back from it. And, uh, you know, the Aussies right now are in lockdown, um, you know, coming back from Tokyo. They're, they've got a two-week quarantine up in Darwin. I think it's kind of a blessing in disguise for some of the coaches to be able to just decompress. Uh, you know, it's very emotional yeah. to go through an Olympic cycle and then also to go through what they just went through, the most successful team in Australian swimming history. So I, I've been able to chat with a couple of them in quarantine and, and knowing, hearing them just feeling like I've, I've, it's been a blessing to just kind of decompress. Yeah, yeah. It's um. I spoke to um Kim Alberton, the Aussie distance swimmer, uh, yesterday, and she, like, she was sort of saying similar thing. It's like it's it's really quite weird to go from the the, the biggest moment in your life for a lot of them mm. to then just like pretty much isolation essentially. Yeah. Um, but that's um yeah can 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 be quite good. How did how did you go um as a, as a swimmer? going from those big meets to those real highs to then coming off the back of it, like in terms of motivation in, in terms of um, going all this, all this fanfare to then, you know, pretty quiet. How'd you balance that? 
Yeah, it's tough, mate. You know, whether you have success or, you know, you feel like you fail in some respects, I think there's there's a period of time where you just need to just stop and let it go. You know, whether whether it is the crazy success or, or the failure, it's like you've just got to decompress. You've got to let it go. And then, and then for me, it was always like a three or four week period where I was like, all right, I don't want to think about it. Um, and then... And then, you know, coming at the back end of that, then I'd start to think, all right, before my, before my thoughts disappear, I need to write this down. You know, what did I learn? What, how, how could I improve? Um, and then it was like, okay, I'm ready to get back into it now. But I, I certainly needed that month away just to, just to let all that stuff go. And, and sometimes with disappointment, it's hard. You know, it's like you want to get straight back into it and get going again. But I think... Uh, you know, especially off an Olympic cycle, you've got to take time to decompress. Yeah, absolutely. Well, being a part of the uh, the 2000 Olympic team, you know, it seems as though in terms of some of the success and then perhaps some of the culture of the Australian team, what we've got now was very similar to what happened 21 years ago. Um, have you sort of seen that, that comparison or have you sort of thought about that? Yeah, look, I think it certainly helps when you have talent. You know, <laughs> like uh, I've been part yeah. <laughs> of I've been part of teams as a coach where I've like, you know, things are running so smoothly because you've got all the talent in the world. You know, and back in two thousand, with the with the talent we had on that team, um, from from the top down, I mean, it was stacked. I was I was the fastest swimmer in Australia, and I wasn't even um, you know a highly regarded swimmer on that team you know it was like we had all these superstars so you know we went through a period where um we lost some of that talent and um i think now where as you can see the women's team especially is completely stacked um the men are, are coming into their own they're starting to get that talent back I, th- I just think they went through a period of time where it you know you gotta you gotta wait for that talent to emerge again and now it just seems like there's a a plethora of, of, of wealth of talent in, in Australia right now and um, they're making the most of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It certainly helps. I mean, all it takes is a couple of amazing swimmers mm. on your team. You know, you got, yeah. you got Titmus, you got McKeon, yeah. and that alone is like so many gold medals there, right? And that could be the difference between being the worst Olympics ever to yeah. the, the best one ever. Yeah, you know, That's exactly. all it takes sometimes. Exactly. And look at the US teams, you know, in... in the past have, have they're always riding one particular athlete like even this year caleb dresser sure. winning five gold you know previously it's been michael phelps that's been winning multiple so you know it's not the whole team that ever you know at the u.s level they're not all winning gold medals but you know they have a, a couple of athletes that have always done really well and i think that's what australia has has done this time around too is like look it wasn't like the whole team swam extraordinarily well but certainly a good proportion of the team um, came away with some medals, and I think that was um, super cool to see. Yeah, watching Dressel swim, like in the relays at the at the start, he was it was swimming well, but not outstanding in the mm. relays in the beginning. I thought, okay, this would be interesting because um, from the 2019 World Champs, he dominated, uh, or he was dominating. Um, so maybe it was yeah, like late 2019, and then yep. I was thinking, okay, we'll see what happens, you know, at the Olympics. But then he just he worked into the meet and he swam incredibly well yeah i've been fortunate enough to know caleb you know since he was in high school i actually recruited him to try and come and swim for me i went to his house and had dinner with his parents a couple of times and and basically begged him to come swim for me but he ended up picking (laughs) florida and uh look so i've seen him 
from from a young kid all the way to now. And I, I knew what he was capable of. I knew what he was um, potentially going to do. And, and uh, you know, I, I was preparing an athlete to beat him. But, you know, I, I know tal- uh, um, Caleb's talent. And, and, and once he gets going, once he does get on a roll, he's very, very difficult to stop. And um, I think we saw that in Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, it's just incredible. And to get that world record too in the 100 fly. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I think we only saw three three world records. Well, not only, but yeah. um, to have one of those was um, pretty special, especially on the, the last, the second last day. Yeah, I was actually disappointed he didn't get the 100, 100 freestyle and the 50, you know. Um, that That's an old athlete of mine, you know, Cesar Cielo. I coached him in 2008. He broke the world records in 2009. And so I, I would... I want those world records to go. And, you know, they came close. Him and Kyle Chalmers both came real close in the 100. But I certainly felt like they were, they're capable of getting that 100 freestyle world record. I think I think it was a tense, action-packed 100. But at some point soon, when they get a chance, I think both those guys will knock that off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, they're swimming so fast and they're so close to it. So it's going to be good to see what, um, what happens there. Yeah. And with them, um, I mean, you're... Primarily, you're a sprinter. You work with a lot of, of the best sprinters in the world. What what are some of those things that you you would say kind of like the fundamentals of of sprinting? Some of those things that you try and pass on to the athletes that you work with. Look, the first thing is with sprinting is if you want to race fast, you've got to train fast. You know, like uh, there there used to be like when I when I trained back in Australia, we used to do a lot of threshold sets. I never do threshold with my sprinters anymore like that that's a thing that used to be a big chunk of my training that is completely eliminated these days so you know guys that used to swim 22 seconds in the 50 and 40 49s 48 highs i mean now everybody's swimming 21 in the 50 and everybody's swimming 47 in the 100 so it's like uh, training has shifted and it's changed so you know everybody's training fast now so that's an essential element is like you've got to go fast in training um, recovery is a huge part of sprint sprinting you know like it's it's the same same thing if you want to build muscle you've got to recover and then you've got to come back and work the muscle again and then you've got to recover again it's the same with speed you know if you want to get faster you've got to hit the speed and then you've got to allow it time to rest and recover so that you can come back it's like a building block you're slowly building blocks and and that's what I do with my sprinters is you know at the start of the season, they're not very strong and powerful and fast, and so we're trying to build strength. We're trying to build power, explosiveness, and these are things that you can improve over time. You know, you can get more explosive. You can get stronger, obviously. You can you can uh, hold a lot more water in in your training. You can improve your kick. You can improve your pull. I mean, these these are um, variables that you can manipulate. And that's what we do is we, we look at, all right, what does it take to swim a really fast 50? What are the components of a fast 50? And where, where in those components do I need certain attributes, you know? Where do I need to be explosive? Where do I need endurance? Because you need endurance at the end of a 50. When you're going at 21 speed for the first 35, it's very easy to, to um, shorten up. It's very easy to get out of your technique and break apart and fall apart. And, and so that's where the endurance factor comes into speed. You know, speed endurance is a huge part of our training. Um, and so we look at all these elements and we kind of build. It's like building a race car. We build the perfect race car. And hopefully at the end, it's got the most horsepower. It's got, the, you know, it's got the best uh, frame and, you know, it can hold itself together. So, 
um, you know, ultimately we're always trying to get faster. You know, we never get to a point where we think, all right, that's the top end of our speed. We're always like, all right, how can we get faster? And so that's why for me it's like I'm looking at those world records and, and I'm thinking, you know, I want to go beyond that. I, I, know where the, yeah. I know where we've been, but I want to go here. And so I was like, how do we get there? So part of it is exploratory, you know, like we're still exploring. Yeah. But there's also parts, like you said, where you've got to have those parts in your training. It's what I've really enjoyed post, I think, what was it, 2011 when they got rid of the suits. Like, to see those world records eventually getting yep. knocked down, mm-hmm. those old suit records, it's like, all right. It's, it's, and, and, and previously in 2011, I was like, man, there's no way that they're going to be able to, to beat these world records you yeah. know, without the suits. It's just mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. But then... It's it. It's it's finding different ways, finding way, ways to do it better, improve their technique, and um, yeah, a lot of those world records have um, have gone. There's not too many um, standing, is there? No, you know, and there's a there's a psychological part to that too. A lot of people, when they first, when we were breaking world records, people were saying, "Oh, they'll never get to those world records." But I, my my take on that was, well, we've seen we've seen humans do it, whether they're in a suit or not. We've still seen it with our own eyes, so you know it's possible. So even removing the suit, it still should be... I've seen somebody swim 46 in the 100. I know what it looks like. I know it's humanly possible as well. So once you have somebody break a barrier, it doesn't matter what the barrier is. Once you see it happen, people tend mm. to flock to the mean. You know, they, they get closer and closer. And, um, and that's what we're seeing. I mean, we just saw a 16-year-old boy swim 47.3 in the 100 freestyle, you know, a few weeks ago. It's like... If a 16-year-old boy can do it, you know, that fast, then, you know, a man can swim 46-something soon. So it's coming, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah, some exciting talent coming through. I mean, watching Popovich swim, uh, watching the South Koreans swim. Jeez, yeah. he, he just died that last 50 of the 200, but um, took yeah. it out with such speed. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting to see what's, um, what's, what's coming down the pipeline. And, yeah. I mean, you had a brief chat to Popovich. I don't know how much you spoke about this on it. But from what I sort of read, he's, like, been training in a 33... He was training in a 33-metre pool, like average blocks. Like, he started out in very humble humble beginnings by the sounds of it. Yeah, I would, I would think so. I haven't gone too deep into it. I only had about eight minutes with him, so I certainly want to go longer and extend uh, next time we speak But um, and, and dig into all that. But, you know, uh, there there are people out in the world that don't put limitations on themselves you know we we tend to put limits on ourselves um you know but uh people that have less than us sometimes figure it figure figure out ways and i think kind of that's been the story in covid too is like when we've had these lockdowns like i was even training you know a guy i'm sure you know the story cody simpson i was training him here's this um musician you know coming from music hadn't hadn't really swum in 10 years and we go into a lockdown situation, we have to figure out how to swim fast, you know, under really hard, harsh circumstances. So um, we did it. Multiple other people did it. I'm sure that you, you had your challenges doing what you were doing. So I think you just figure it out and adapt, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, thinking, like, what, what have been some of your favorite, um, what are some of your favorite things about coaching? What do you, what do you really get a, a kick out of? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I I really enjoy watching people maximize their potential. You know, um, whatever that potential is, yeah, I I get a kick out of people 
um, breaking their own personal barriers, you know. Um, I do like high-end performance. I, I love the, the top-end swimming. You know, for me, I'm an Olympic coach, and I always will be. Um, I'll never I'll never coach club, you know. It's just I, I, I do clinics now, and I go around and I teach young kids, but it's not something that I'm passionate about. I'm, I'm passionate about high-level swimming, and so... I do like working with professional athletes. I like the professional mindset. It's probably why I love love Bruno so much and we have a, such a great relationship is because he does have such a professional mindset. So for me, you know, the top end of the sport is really exciting. Um, I love competing for Olympic medals. Uh, that's the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning, you know, like to be the best in the world is something really special for me. And you know it's not for everybody i'm not saying everybody has to have that approach but um i certainly love competing for world championships and olympic medals for sure uh, i think i remember hearing a story um you might have told on one of your, your podcast episodes but i think it was at one of the meets it was like maybe pan packs or something where um you might have said to grant hackett like he, he you you feel like he wasn't fired up um yeah. going into the 1500 mm-hmm. and so you like you said that the the US guys would, they were talking about this is going to be their meet. Like, yeah, you, and I think uh, for, for, like you, as an athlete, that's um, it's a really good way to fire people up. But as a coach, like I find that you find that you can sort of press the right buttons if you know the swimmer well enough. You know the right buttons to press, especially those that are so competitive. Mm. It's uh, you can find ways to really cheer them up. So is that um, would you have to go back to that that story and what happened there? Yeah, listen, mate. The psychology of the sport to me is huge and. Um you know, even Bruno. When I was talking to Bruno today about him in the in the ready room at the Olympics, you know, he could tell who who he was going to beat and who was going to be tough. You know, like you you know you know who you've got a got a mental edge over, and you know other ones that are like, okay, this guy's switched switched on. But uh, in terms of the Grant Hackett story, it was just like you know we have a very close relationship you know we were roommates on on occasion on the australian team so i had seen him and and the way that he had approached his racing and he was just very fatigued at the end of a long couple of weeks of racing and we're at the Pampax. he was racing the americans he hadn't been beaten in something like six years at the time and um so i knew i was seeing something that was a little bit unusual in him like fatigue in and a different type of mindset where he was kind of being a little bit negative and and so you just use your coaching skills, you know, at that point. I, and this was when I was a swimmer on the team, so I was already starting to coach back then. So, And I think that's what I love about coaching is the psychology, the mental side of it, you know. Like, I don't think we're really figured out, you know, the space between our ears right here. Like, there's so much power in here. And um, so I just, used, I just used manipulation on Grant to kind of get the best out of him. I told him the Americans, I was listening to them on the bus and – they were talking about him and saying how they were going to beat him, and and that just got under his skin. Like it was easy. It's easy to figure out what gets under Grant Hackett's skin, you know. Just talk about Americans <laughs> and being beat, and that's the end of it. It's like, so yeah, I think that's what you do with your athletes is you try and find what what really motivates them, what really is going to get them fired up. Because 
you want athletes to feel like they're invincible. Like you want them to feel mm. like they're unbeatable. And, um, and if you can, if you can pull that out of them, then you're going to get some extraordinary performances. And Grant ended up, you know, winning that race by half a half a pool length and swimming the second fastest time he'd ever swum. You know, whereas you know minutes earlier he's completely exhausted on the massage table and out of it. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty extraordinary um, what we can get out of ourselves when we really start to use the power of our brain. Yeah, that's it. Is there, has there been any stories uh, from chatting to some of the swimmers or coaches that you've had on your podcast that uh, that you didn't know and you were like, oh, that's such an amazing, such an interesting story that uh, that you'd never heard before? Oh, mate, you put me on the spot now. There's so many <laughs> of them. Like, and I think that's the thing that I love about talking to all the different athletes is like everybody's got a story, you know, and um, sure. I'm kind of excited to to talk to some of the people that just went through tokyo you know and like get some of their stories and because i'm just a fan like you i'm this is the first time i hadn't been to the olympics in uh five olympics or you know i'd been to five in a row so this was going to be this was going to be number six for me and I, and I opted not to go i wanted to be kind of a spectator and, and look at it from the other side on this one so yeah i just sat back as a fan and, and watching i'd love to to speak to ariane titmus and 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 uh, you know mm. try and get in her head in terms of you know, racing a, a girl or, or a woman like Katie Ledecky, who's virtually unbeatable, you know, and um, racing her at the Olympic Games and then and then beating her in that stage, like, to me, like, that's an incredible story. I want to get to the bottom of that one, you know. So so I've been fortunate yeah. to, to talk to a number of um, people on my podcast and everybody's got their own little unique story about how they got to where they were kind of thing. Um, so... I wish I could remember something very specific, you know, but like I talked to Emma yeah. McKeon 10 months ago, man, at, at that stage, 10 months ago, Emma McKeon had never won an individual, um, Olympic gold medal. She'd won relay medals before she'd won individual medals at the Olympics, but she'd never won an, an, an Olympic gold. And I think, I think this time she came away with, um, you know, something like, uh, well, three, uh, maybe three individual gold, I believe. Uh, and and she she certainly won a couple of relays as well. So, you know, to see someone like that who ten months ago had never won an individual goal, now she's won it. Um, it's nice to go back and compare. It'll be it'll be interesting to hear what she said back then to to now. So, yeah, I, yeah. I love the stories. I think I think that's a great story, isn't it? Like to someone who's been in the sport for a long time, and then to become the best in the world yeah. in that later stage in her career where she was always she was up there but she was never a standout or anything like that but yeah. she just she just fired from trials onwards she um just looked like she had so much speed and uh, was there anything that's like in terms of her training uh, from what i heard she had reduced it to like five or six swim sessions a week and, and had upped her gym um have you heard anything along those lines of what she's she'd been doing and i guess you're going to talk to Bowley after this, so he'll yeah, probably yeah. Talk yeah, I'm going to but... talk to Bowley in about an hour from now, so I'm going to get to the bottom of it for sure. But um, <laughs> you know, she she did say that she had worked on her strength. You know, she she's getting stronger, and I think that's that's uh, a hallmark of a of a great champion is is figuring out where are my weaknesses. You know, like where am I? You know, I think a lot of people go through their career and they just they just do the same thing over and over again, and and they expect different results. Where I think champions are like you know kind of do the same thing that i did at the end of a 
you know, you have this decompressing part and then you have this assessment of like, all right, what have I got to, where have I got to get better, you know, in order to either compete for medals or compete to be the best, you know, and that's one thing that I always tried to do in my career is just figure out where's my weaknesses. And I think um, probably Emma is a great example of, of saying, well, I got to get stronger if I want to be a champion. And she's done that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and just going back to when you first started coaching, like you've sort of coached uh, under or like Richard Quick, Dave mm-hmm. Marsh, like you've, you've sort of been there with some of the, the best coaches um, in the world. What kind of, um, when you first started coaching, what, what sort of coach did you feel like you you were going to be like what kind of style and then did that change at all with those who you you coached under or or those that you um you worked with yeah it's a good question i never really intended to be a coach i kind of fell into it under david marsh he kind of pulled me into it and then and um and then i just realized pretty early on that i had a talent for it honestly um i think one of the things that i wanted to do is i wanted to i wanted my athletes to know that they had a partner that that i was I was with them in their performance. It wasn't just like me preparing them and then me standing on the sideline. I didn't want that separation. I wanted it to be like, hey, we're we're partners here. I watch a lot of UFC now, you know, and I, and I see the fighters coming into the ring and their their coaches are right there with them, you know, and they and they stand right up against the cage and they and they're shouting out details to the fighters as they're fighting. That's the kind of coach I want to be, you know, like I want to be that person that walks to the walks to the cage with the with the swimmer and 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 for them to know that hey when you get punched i get punched when you throw a punch i throw a punch you know it's like i want that personal connection and that's that's the type of coach that i've tried to be and um i feel like i'm, I'm pretty successful that it, it certainly has helped that i came from a very high end type background where i was an olympic swimmer myself so like i think there was trust was easy to to build because they they they're like, oh, yeah, you get it. You understand what I'm going through. So, But I'm very big on the psychology too. So for me, uh, I mean, a, a workout is a workout. It's how you apply the workout. It's how you how you perform in the workout. Um, and, and those things require both a physical and a mental approach to, to training that then translates into racing. So, like, you know, if I'm energized before practice and during practice – then my athletes are going to be energized. When they walk in and they, they sense my energy, then they can feed off that energy. When they see me running up and down the pool deck next to them as they're swimming, they're going to feed off that. It's it's very much kind of like a Dean Boxall approach. I, I can see a lot of similarities um, with him and myself in, in the way that he invests in his athletes, you know, uh, is you pour everything into it and you're there with them and they're, and they've got a partner. I remember hearing Bill Sweetenham uh, say something along the lines of, as a swim coach, you go in full to the brim with energy and you leave completely wiped. Mm-hmm. And then your swimmers come in low energy and they leave completely pumped up. It's yeah, like, it, yeah. yeah. And you sort you really feel that after like a, a really good session, like you, as a coach, you're complete, you're exhausted, mm. but the swimmers are on a high and they, they feel like they've, um, they've really got a lot, a lot from it. Yeah. And uh, I took a lot from, yeah from from that whereas you know, i think particularly at the start when i started coaching it's like i'd sometimes feel like i would just put too much into it where i'd like you know just yeah. just be too wiped at the end of a session in a way and yeah. it's like all right got to get back up for another one yeah for sure i mean there are multiple times where i'd come home and i'd just be exhausted you know and yeah 
my wife at the time would be like, like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, really? Like, do you understand what I just did out there? It's like, I just poured every ounce of energy I had into that, you know? And, and, uh, and that can be tough, uh, you know, in terms of coaching. That's what gave me an appreciation for the coaches that I had. I never fully realized that they'd go home just wiped out, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah, it's a tough profession. I remember, like, my, my dad was my coach for the majority of when I was swimming. And, um, I, you know, as a teenager, you've got everything provided for you. You don't need to drive. You don't need to feed yourself. It's yeah. like yeah, everything's done for you. And so I remember like my dad, he was working full time. He was coaching seven or eight sessions a week and, you know, would sometimes get, uh, get a little bit frustrated, um, you know, as, as a coach, you know, and at the time I was like, just chill out. You know, what's, mm. I think it's easy. You know, what's, yeah. I don't know. I can't see why, why you might be a little bit um, yeah. frustrated with things. But then as a coach or as a, as a parent, you've got all these responsibilities. It's like, yeah. It takes a lot to just keep you cool sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Uh, you know, sometimes I sometimes I didn't handle that as well as I could have, and you're like, all right, you got to learn from <laughs> yeah. that, you know. But yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, it's tough when you're doing ten workouts a week and uh, and they're just back to back. And the the hard thing for me in the in the US in the university system is like we'd go through the whole college system and then and then we'd go through the international season and the international season would then back up into the college season. Then you just go again. So it was like. It was like Groundhog Day, you know. Every year was just the same thing, and we, we never got any breaks. Like I, I didn't take a holiday in ten years, and so I, I by the end of it, I just got burnt out on that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great to see uh, to have to see so much of, of Dean Boxall and, and Ariane, like that that relationship together. Some mm. of the some Australia stuff that they did with the mic'd up mm. series, and yeah. seeing that that relationship and and how he coaches. I think it's so good for the for the sport on, on many levels. You've got parents looking in with their kids, like, wouldn't that be an awesome thing for my kid to be a part of? Mm. You've got coaches looking in, like, majority of coaches looking in going, that's, like, that's a passionate coach. You know, I, I can take something from it. I think that that insight into it and what we've seen recently is, um, is going to be really beneficial over the next couple of years. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think, I think it's been good. You know, we all saw the way he reacted after the win and it kind of went viral you know but like when you back it up with all the other stuff that he's done with the mic'd up stuff like you said when you take the time to watch and listen i mean that's a guy that's a coach and um and that's a relationship that they're invested in each other's performance you know like you know dean is just in that performance and so a lot of emotions flood out when when you put when you're that emotionally invested into it you know so um yeah a lot of respect for what they did yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I know you've got a, um, a busy schedule, so Brett, I want to thank you for um, for being on the podcast. What um, maybe one of the last things is what um, yeah, what are you, you most looking forward to in the next six to, to twelve months? Because you've you've got a lot on your your plate. But um, what's sort of what are you looking forward to? Uh, you know what, like I didn't really know where I was going before COVID hit. You know, and. Um I think I think when COVID hit, it made me reevaluate a lot of things, and uh, it made me realise that, you know, I can I can put my energies in in certain areas, and and that's what I've done. Like I put my energy into into um, coaching a couple of athletes privately. You know, I put my energy into my podcast, and um, and I had got a lot of success from that. You know, coaching Cody Simpson was very fulfilling. Coaching Bruno Fratus has been very fulfilling into the Olympics doing my podcast and sharing stories from from swimmers and coaches around the world and so i'm just going to keep exploring that mate you know i'm passionate about swimming i love 
I love the sport. I love the people in it. I love the stories. Uh, and like I said, I, I'm very into the high-end type performance of it, so I'm just going to keep sharing those stories. And so I don't know where it's going to go. Um, we just started a live show. We're going to do a weekly live show on swimming, and I think, I think uh, you know, what you're doing with your podcast and, and um, your platform, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting to see people you know, doing the things that we're doing. So I'm just going to keep exploring this platform and see where it takes us. Yeah, well, I think you're doing an amazing thing for the swimming community as a whole. I was speaking to my dad last week and he said, like, we were talking about the Australian swim team and um, like what Lee Nugent went through in 2012 mm. um, and then to see the success of the team now. And he was saying it'd be amazing to just sit down with Lee and just listen to his stories and, and, and see what he's, you know, see what he's um he's seen and gone through and it's, yeah. I feel it's very much like what you're doing with your podcast is you're drawing these stories out of people that we wouldn't otherwise hear mm-hmm. and I think uh, that that's part of part one of the reasons why I think your podcast is, has blown up over the last 12 18 months with the guests you've had I think the way that you you interview and you draw those questions out of people it's um it's amazing to to hear them so as a swimmer and a swim fan it's like it, it's I, I love what you're doing so uh thanks for uh for doing the podcast it's inside with brett hawk um for those that are listening if you haven't heard it yet um but we'll be sure to link to it in the show notes and um yeah keep it up it's unreal uh, Brenton, you're good man mate appreciate it thank you thanks for listening to the effortless swimming podcast if you'd like us to help you become a faster more efficient swimmer go to www.effortlessswimming.com